Welcome to Unity of Tucson. I am honored to be here to speak to you, to fill in for uh, Reverend Dr. Jonathan, who is, I don't think, quite yet, but he will be uh, doing his pilgrimage in Spain and uh, uh, probably starting next week. Has he already started? He leaves tomorrow, and our love goes with him, and uh, it's an honor that he would entrust this congregation to me. And I, I, I'm happy to be retired and to come and let him and all of you minister unto me. What a great joy that is after all the years I've done the ministering to be ministered unto. So to come out of retirement, give a talk, it's a beautiful thing. And I told him what I wanted to talk about, and he said, I can get Liz to sing that song for you. And the interesting thing about that song is uh, we were talking while she was rehearsing and so forth and uh, said, well, that was from the 1973 movie, Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, it, it was a movie that followed the play. Now she knew the play, but she didn't know that song because it wasn't in the play. It was in the movie. And I asked for that. It's a bit, it, was a, it was a big screen success. And that movie, that, that song, Could We Start Again, Please?, touched me deeply, and it has stayed with me. Now, I remember 1973, I was 20, 21 years old, the head of our uh, young adults group at Unity Church in Atlanta, and we all loaded up our cars and went to, to see Jesus Christ Superstar. And we were thrilled. It was electrifying. And so you, you now know, after Sandy's told you how many years I served and when I started, about how old I am. But uh, I want you to know that I'm younger than the picture that you saw in the promotion about me. I am <laughs> youthing and uh, glad to be youthing with you. Now, in the movie, after the crucifixion of Jesus, his close friend and some scholars would say his wife, Mary Magdalene, sings that song. Could we start again, please? Let me repeat a couple of the lyrics. I've been living to see you, dying to see you, but it shouldn't be like this. This was unexpected. What do I do now? Could we start again, please? What do we do when our hopes and dreams and everything we work for have been destroyed and dashed might even say crucified. What do we do? I say we can start again, please. And we must start again, please. In 1974, I heard the Reverend Bob Stevens, who founded a magnificent Unity Church in San Diego. Some of you may have been there. We're not that far from San Diego. It's a great church, great ministry there. He was speaking to the the class of graduates and ordinands in Unity Ministerial School. Not my class. That was a couple of years later. But I was there early, and so I listened to him. And one of the salient points that he made was this. There are two great tragedies in life. 
The first is to have a, a, a great dream, a high aspiration, a big goal, and to fail in your attempt to achieve it. The other is to have a great dream, a high aspiration, a big goal, and to actually achieve it. Now, I pondered that for a long time, and this is what I think he meant. If we have a big goal and give ourselves to it heart and soul and fail, well, we're crushed and we want to quit. We want to just give up to labor ourselves uh, a failure and just end the dream. It is over. On the other hand, if we uh, achieve that big goal and against all obstacles, against all the odds, and we succeed, there's a tendency to say, well, I've done it. Hallelujah. And let's just sit back and rest on our laurels. I say there are two great times to get up and get going again. When we've had a great success and when we've had a great failure. If we have a great success, the energy is obviously for us, isn't it? And it boosts us. And wow, why quit then? Let's go, let's go forward. If we have a failure, then in some way we can say that the energy has been against us. And we've got to change that energy or it's going to follow us and we'll have more failures. So we have to change that energy and get up and get going. Some coaches, both athletic coaches and life coaches, preach that we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, we're going to look at that. One of the greatest athletes of all time was the 1960 Olympic decathlon chaplain, Rafer Johnson. Any of you remember him? Okay. After winning the 1960 Olympics event, which was considered the greatest event, 10 events in two days that you have to do lots of different things, and see, he was asked, when did you start training for that 1960 Olympics? And he said, 1956, after I just lost in the Olympics. So, he got up and he got going again. <clears throat> Sometimes we, we have a hidden victory when it, appear, it appears to us in all the world that we have lost. One of my favorite stories was by the French novelist and playwright Jules Verne, Around the World in 80 Days. You know it, right? You, you may have read uh, the book. You, you may have seen plays. You may have seen, I don't know how many movies about that. But it's set in the late 1800s, and the protagonist, Phileas Fogg, makes a bet for a considerable sum of money that he can journey around the world in 80 days. He arrives home a day late, or so he thinks. So he thinks. He is distraught. However, in this journey, he's, he's found the love of his life, and he wants to marry her. And so he sends his manservant, Passepartout, to make arrangements with the local minister for a wedding the very next day. But the manservant makes a remarkable discovery. Phileas Fogg has actually won the bet. The minister cannot perform the, the marriage the final day because that would be Sunday, and he couldn't do it. So now Passepartout runs home, and he manhandles his boss, drags him to the venue to receive the prize just in the nick of time. 
You see, as learned and erudite as Mr. Fogg was, he had not taken into account the different time zones around the world. And he had traveled east. So he actually got home a, a day before he, he did. He was distraught thinking he had lost, but in fact had won. He arrived at the venue four hours ahead of time. And more than that, uh, he found happiness with the love of his life. Now I will tell you my story when I was distraught thinking I had lost and there was no hope and I was depressed, but I had actually won. As Sandy explained, I had grown up without a father around. He left when I was seven years old. We didn't know where he was for many years. And in high school, I was a good athlete and uh, uh, a good student, but then toward the end of my senior year, my mother died, and I had to get someone to sponsor me so I could stay in that school and, and, and graduate. Nevertheless, I earned a full scholarship to one of the finest universities in the South, Vanderbilt. And at Vanderbilt, we, we sort of uh, made a little joke and said, well, Harvard is the Vanderbilt of the North. <laughs> so that, that's how we, we thought about that. My dream was to be a high school football coach and a math teacher. I was very good at, at mathematics. And I worked very hard at uh, Vanderbilt and earned a starting position on the freshman team. And uh, I was invited by the coaches to give the prayer before the game. In those days, you could actually pray before a game. <laughs> now, you probably still can at a private school, but uh, I was invited to do that. And after my prayer, one of my teammates said, John, why, you ought to be a preacher. I should have listened to him. Ah. <laughs> uh, during the game against Alabama, you've heard of that little little football school. And uh, now I have to tell you, uh, they were bigger and stronger and faster than we were. And I always thought there ought to be a handicap system. Like if you play for Vanderbilt, at halftime you could do differential equations or something like that, and that would count as part of the score. But uh, <laughs> That's not the way uh, they saw it. And also, as they were pushing us around the field, and, and, and it's one of those games where I would say the turning point was the coin toss. <laughs> I don't know that we even crossed midfield, but we're out there, trying, and as they're pushing us around, we'd be saying, yeah, but you'll be working for us after college. You know, so <laughs> that was uh, some consolation. However, <clears throat> I had an injury to my neck and shoulder that the doctors deemed was in, incurable. I had torn major nerves. I could not lift my arm any higher than this. If I lifted the arm up with the other arm and let it go, it would just flop down. I couldn't do one push-up. And uh, my dream was over. I'd, uh, I dropped out of school, turned in my scholarship, and uh, went home to Atlanta to lick my wounds. When, when you hear that it can never recover uh, and you're 18 years old, you think life is over. This is what my life was. I was an athlete and a scholar, and, and this was over. It just so happened that uh, one of my mother's best friends 
was the sister-in-law of uh, Sid Williams, who uh, was the founder of the largest chiropractic college in the world. And I went to see him. He took a look at that, and he pretty much believed he could solve anything. Uh, and he looked at the x-ray, he looked at it, he said, there's nothing I can do. Uh, you know, with therapy, physical therapy, you can, uh, you can get better, but, you know, forget, forget it. You know, this, this is it. And so I went back to the Unity Church that I had grown up in. And, you know, they didn't care if I played football. <laughs> they didn't care if I went to Vanderbilt. They just loved me to hold us. You know, one of the things I think about a spiritual community is to go someplace where they see the wholeness and the goodness in, in you and they love you no matter what the outer is, is showing. And, and the thing that meant the most to me was the meditation. Meditation on Sunday morning, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I found for 10 or 15 minutes a week, I didn't feel miserable. What was happening is I was knowing my oneness with God. And then I took some classes and I got some tapes and meditation. And I found that those 10 or 15 minutes a week grew to several hours. And one morning I woke up and said, I'm not feeling miserable anymore. What am I feeling? Well, <clears throat> I was feeling good. I was feeling one with God. And it was nine months after that injury that I woke up one morning and knew I was healed, and I was. And nothing has been possible to me since then. I have climbed mountains. I, I see some of my bicycle friends here. I have bicycled long distance. I have traveled the world. Nothing's impossible. But at that point, when I realized that I was well, I knew also that what I wanted to do was be a minister and help people in the way that I had been helped. And so uh, after I did get back into college, but in Atlanta, and graduated with honors with a degree in mathematics. Why, I don't know, but uh, I was good at mathematics and uh, minors in philosophy and psychology. Got accepted to a Unity Ministerial School and, and also uh, Harvard. But I knew if I went to Harvard, I would probably spend the rest of my life in the academics, which I loved. But what I really was called to do was be a unity minister. So I went to that little unknown seminary in Kansas City. And as I say, the rest is history. To be ordained at 23 in 125 years of unity, only about five or six people have been ordained at 23. So uh, I, I was honored. What I had thought was a devastating loss was a victory for me finding and following my calling. And I have never looked back on that. <clears throat> I want to give you another story of triumph that seemed like failure, or maybe failure that seemed like triumph. But it, it's from the Old Testament, prophet Elijah. There's this great battle on Mount Carmel. And, uh, you know, the, the God of Israel versus the God of Baal. And who wins? God of Israel. Well, Elijah, he goes far beyond the victory dance and the trash talking. He has all the prophets of Baal killed. Oh, my word. That is pretty nasty, right? 
Well, Jezebel, oh, the evil, the mean, the awful Jezebel. She did not like that at all, so she puts a price on his head, and he runs away. He is hiding in a cave, and he says, oh, God, take me now. I don't want to, these warriors loyal to Jezebel, so just take me now. Well, he doesn't get taken now. He actually has a time of being ministered to by, by angels, and they say, Go and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. You know that story, right? And so what happens? <clears throat> There's a great wind. We, we know something about that here, don't we? <laughs> great winds. And when you were riding this week, there were some great winds to ride your bicycle in, right? So the Lord was not in the wind, and then there was an earthquake. The Lord not in the earthquake. There's a fire. The Lord not in the fire. But finally, there was a sound of, and I want you to pay attention to this because you may think it's something different, the sound of sheer silence. Now, you probably have an older version of the Bible that says the still small voice, and that's where God was. But it, the, the modern translations, which I think are better, will say the sound of sheer silence. Elijah had to get still and listen for the sound of sheer silence before he could begin again and, and complete his mission here. Let's go back to, to Easter. The disciples and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all the rest of his followers have suffered the greatest loss imaginable. There's been a horrible execution of this marvelous God being, their rabbi, their friend, and I think they were thinking something like maybe what I was thinking. They fought a good fight, and we lost. Our teacher is gone. What do we do now? I want you to understand this was not the end. It was the beginning. Had he not been crucified, there wouldn't have been a resurrection. And there, if it hadn't been the resurrection, and he just lived out his life and just been one of many prophets of the Near East, we would have forgotten about him. But the crucifixion led to the resurrection, and that's what then led to the, what was originally Palestinian Jesus movements, but evolved into Christianity. I believe with every crucifixion, there can be a resurrection if we will what? Start again, please. And what is required is to get still in meditation and listen the sound of sheer silence. You and I can do that. You can learn to do it here. We have meditation classes here. Do it. Come early on Sunday and get that meditation. I want to leave you with a, a, a piece of poetry that is my favorite, and, and it's from Tennyson's Ulysses, which is a very long poem, but Tennyson sets this with the great Ulysses, the great voyager, the hero and he's come back to the hero's welcome and everybody, yeah, yeah, it is great. But he's gotten older. And he has what some might call divine discontent. I'm tired of sitting around and being trotted out for all the celebration about what this guy used to do. And he gets a calling. And he says, come, my friends. Tis not too late to seek a newer world. Push off. And sitting well in order, smite the sounding furrows, for 
My purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars until I die. It may be the gulfs will wash us down. It may be we shall touch the happy isles and see the great Achilles whom we knew. Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. And I say to you, if you have suffered a great defeat or even a great success, it is time to meditate, to get still and listen for the sound of sheer silence. For it is then and only then that you can start again, please. And you will start again, please. God bless you. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.